welcome to Beach Houses and Babies, a private practice recap podcast. I'm Sam. On today's episode, we'll be chatting all about private practice season five, episode six. Episode six, if I hadn't forgotten, was written by Krista Vernoff and directed by Jeff Blechner. It aired on November 3rd, 2011. Enjoy! On today's episode, I am joined by the Christina to my Meredith, the Ann Perkins to my Leslie Noth, the Lady Mary to my Lady Sybil, the Jessica Fletcher to my classic typewriter, my person. This is my big cousin, Caitlin. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Typewriter always gets you. There were some, I feel like there were some new ones in there. I didn't change them up. Oh, wow. I didn't remember the typewriter one. I liked it. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good, good. Um, not that we haven't been together for a long time already, but you know, just have to do that. <laughs> what else are you like reading and or watching right now? So I haven't been reading and watching as many things as I normally would this year. I've been so busy. Um, but right now I'm reading a book called Did You Hear About Kitty Carr by Crystal Smith Paul. Oh, I'm about. 20% of the way through and it's uh, I'm really enjoying it so far and I actually got to meet her and go to her talk and book signing at Octavia's bookshelf in May Ooh. when she was the Reese's book club pick. Oh we so, love Octavia's bookshelf. Yeah it's really good so far I'm looking forward to finishing it. Nice so where can we find you online? Well, this changed. I always had private social media, but now um, I just started my own company a few yay, yay a few months ago, which is why I've been so busy and not reading or watching things. Yay! Um, <laughs> so it's called Storied Lane Marketing, named after our grandmother. And so you can find me at Storied Lane uh, on Instagram. Yeah, and that will be in the show notes. She is fully booked right now, but if you'd like to get on a waiting list, you can do that. If you have a one-off project, you can do that. Yeah, I'm your PR person. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Anything before we start? No, I'm ready to dive in. My notes are chaotic because that's how I interpreted the episode, so I may sound chaotic, but... Yeah, uh, that's fine. You know, I wanted to stay true to how I experienced it. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. So saying that, let's start with your first note. Okay, my first note was that it was a really abrupt opening. I thought that you accidentally were partway into the episode. Yeah. It didn't seem like the start. It's like that um, Taylor Swift song, Cowboy Like Me, how it seems like it starts like in the middle of a verse. Yeah. Which is cool, but I just didn't expect it. Yeah, I even rewound it. I was like, oh, maybe it like came forward for whatever reason. Because now that it's on Prime, thankfully, it gives you literally three seconds to choose whether you want to go to the next episode or not. Whereas Hulu, I think, is like, 20 seconds or 15 and Netflix even is five Mm. so I was like maybe it did fast forward after watching the last one but it didn't it really just went into it my first note why do we keep seeing the therapist's eyes so close it was like Addison's full face like mid-stomach up and then we would see the therapist's literally one eyeball and part of his glasses and then his notes about her and then glasses and then him like we didn't see his face it was very weird I don't I'm sure it will mean something eventually but or I don't know maybe maybe it's because all of the doctors on this show you see as fully like complicated people Mm. and they didn't want him to become a character and more like a mirror for Addison Okay. Maybe if we, like, saw him, then we would think he's, like, a new character on the show. Okay. Or I could just... No, I like that. Completely making that up. No, I like that. I like that. But it was really... It was really weird. That and starting what seemed like in the middle of a scene just didn't seem the typical style of the show. Yeah. My other first note is Addison says, I slept for six hours last night. And I was like, if I only slept for six hours, I would not be cozy cohesive in a conversation that's a good night of sleep for me (laughs) (laughs) at least these days (laughs) which is oh no not healthy I'm working on it (laughs) yeah but uh not me if I get less than like nine I am 
not functional, which I know is a luxury, but I also go to bed early. That was uh, fully me sitting there being like, oh, didn't I tell you earlier today? I was like, I'm so tired. I don't know why I slept. And I feel like I got six hours. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So anyway, working on that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't do our patient breakdown. Oh no. Let me do that. It's okay. We only did first notes. So, dear listeners, we have first notes and miscellaneous per usual. We have Addison Forbes Montgomery with talk therapy and egg retrieval. Very exciting. We have Ollie Graham, who I did not give a diagnosis, but Ollie Graham is the eight-year-old who is not Mason. There are only two eight-year-olds in this episode, and one is Mason and one is not. So this is the eight-year-old that is not Mason. We have Kelly Garrity with the pituitary adenoma, who we never meet. We have Charlotte King with a scalp laceration and a concussion. And that's why I put my Amelia notes, because they are kind of connected. So on to Addison Forbes Montgomery with talk therapy and egg retrieval. My first note is she says, I don't sing. And the therapist says, I don't judge. And I was just thinking how close this was after the musical episode on Grey's Anatomy that Addison was on, but did not sing for. And I thought that has to be intentional. Have you ever seen the musical episode of Grey's Anatomy? No. I just watched it this week. I can't even picture it. <laughs> wow. Dear listeners, Caitlin and I are going away for a long weekend. This weekend, Caitlin will be watching the musical. Caitlin and Ruthie will be watching the musical episode before she is back. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so my... First note for Addison was also about the I don't sing um, because she's a perfectionist and uh, doesn't want to do something that she's not going to be good at. Yeah. Uh, Which I understand. And I also thought what the therapist said about, um, because it was all about the song that was stuck in her head. And when the therapist said it's never just a song in your head, that was interesting to me. And then also he said something about moving forward is also looking back. So I thought that whole exchange was really interesting for Addison's character. There's a big storyline this episode about who Addison is choosing to be the donor for her child. It's like a lot of conversation about it. I didn't write that much on it, but Sam is all about like, oh, these guys are so soft. Like he's not helping. Bing. He's saying these are bad choices, start over, which to me says something like he's not threatened by it, but let's be honest here. Sam should probably be the father of the child, but he is not willing to do that. So instead of saying, here's a good replacement or like, here's a good option, he's saying, don't go this one. He's too soft. He's not going to have a dad. He's going to have enough soft don't pick someone with a soft profession, which I don't think geologists are soft. And I don't really think that classical musicians are soft. But anyway, even if they were, who cares? But also I couldn't help but wonder, do they not test for testosterone with everything already being tested for? Well, and also he made some comment too that because there wasn't a dad, the kid would be soft meaning Addison is soft. I would not describe her as soft. No, but compared to Ollie's parents, she is like a beautiful pillow of down. Yes, but it was just like a little bit sexist too. Yeah. What he was saying. It was just very, um, I don't know, it was really weird. Yeah, not a great moment there for Sam Bennett. What did you think of Sam holding Addison's hand in the retrieval? But as Jake said, waiting until she was asleep to come in. He was like, I was running late. I was running late. I thought that whole exchange was fascinating. Talk more. I hadn't seen the episodes with the whole backstory between Jake and Addison, but you had explained it to me. I also just love Benjamin Bratt and like anything he's in. Recurring theme um, with all yeah. of our guests. So, as soon as he came on, this yeah. game, I was like, Benjamin Bratt. And she, <laughs> and she paused it so I could write my note. And I was like, Oh, no, that was it. I was just typing his name. <laughs> that was my note. Benjamin Bratt. <laughs> Everyone feels the same. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, one, it was very bold for him to just call him out like that. And that was just very honest, brutally honest exchange. Um, but he wasn't wrong. No. And actually, 
by the end of the episode, this is the first time I've ever seen Addison and Sam be somewhat on the same page or the same chapter of the same book. Um, In the same library. (laughs) And I wonder how much it had to do with that halfway conversation because Sam got defensive, but then he let it sink in. And I think he realized maybe that was actually right. Yeah. And it didn't mean that he needed to have a kid if he didn't want to have a kid, but it meant he needed to do more. Yeah. In the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Sam said, again, it's just bad timing. I don't know how that is bad timing as I've said before and we'll say again like there is no good timing for these two people there just isn't and Sam was trying to defend himself saying it's not halfway it's just and he couldn't think of anything else which shows yeah Caitlin you're right he was halfway and he knew it I loved when Addison said well first of all I loved that Sam asked Addison to describe him in the way that the donors were described on paper And then I loved that she said, I could call you from a cave in 20 years and you'd figure out a way to help me. She was like, we we will have like fallen out of touch and I could call you and you would still come. I also like that she said that he's smart and wise, which are not the same thing. And I am not a Sam apologist, but I do agree with that. Really cute when they're holding hands. But Sam Bennett, it is not time to tell her about the time that you kissed Naomi while she was away for Busy's funeral. Sam, it's not the time. It's not the time. I was shocked that Addison was just like, yeah, that's fine. It's totally fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. He's a cheater too. I love it. I love that he's a cheater. Well, for a second, I thought, is this Vanderpump Rules? (laughs) 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 I was like, what? But, yeah, it wasn't a good time, but it somehow was exactly what she needed to release her from the kind of self-hatred she was having. Yeah, apparently. And then she says to the therapist, again, I'm at the end of my notes for Addison. She says, Sam did this terrible thing, but he deserves happiness. I think she's sort of overcompensating because... Sam kissing his ex-wife, although it was a a really awful time for Addison, is not, like, it's not a good thing. (laughs) But it's not a horrible thing that would make you not be worthy of happiness ever. I don't think that Addison saying that Sam deserves happiness means that the happiness has to be with Addison. I just want to quantify that. Yeah, I think she was talking about herself more than anything else. Yeah. But yeah, they they don't seem to match up. But this episode, I feel that they did more so than usual. Yes, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. There were good, more good moments than there have been recently. What else do you have for Addison? I think those were the, the main points. I, I thought, it, though, it was interesting how much she wanted everyone else's input everyone's input and she said where are the women yeah but i didn't see her try that hard to find them no and um i think she just wasn't comfortable making the decision herself and she just wanted a lot of validation from other people yeah that's the about me section of addison's forbes montgomery's life on to ollie graham who again does not have a diagnosis from this podcast or cooper or Sheldon, but from his parents, he has one. What's your first note? I thought it was interesting and sad how much they were constantly comparing him to his brother who got into Stanford, if we hear that one more time. I know. I felt I felt really bad for him that, that, that they couldn't see him as his own person. Well, I think the first son was like a trial run for them almost. And in their minds... They were like, well, this son, he had a learning disability, and he can still go to Stanford. So, well, this son must have it too. But what they really learned is that they could get the extra time for tests, which is not the way to go about it. No. This whole thing was just so sad, and I just felt so bad for that little boy. And 
what he was living in. Um, it's just sad. I liked that we heard about the son and Cooper got so excited. I like that we heard from the parents and from Cooper about their history with this older son. So we knew that, you know, Cooper for the most part had like a reason to trust that this family was telling the truth. I love when Cooper said, although he's 18, he probably doesn't want a high five from his pediatrician. I thought that was really cute. In all the episodes I've seen of this show, I've never actually seen Cooper being a doctor. So I actually didn't know he was a pediatrician. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's funny because he I feel like he has cases like kind of a lot, definitely more than Amelia does. But he, yeah, doesn't. I guess it goes, you've never seen Andre McDonald either. No. <laughs> and she's just off in New York now, engaged to Fife, and you'll never probably maybe see her while you're on an episode now. She's yeah. not a regular anymore. Yeah. <laughs> My parents would never let me roam around the doctor's office by myself at eight. Nobody should let their kid roam around no. doctor's offices. Blows my mind. They constantly were like, go wait in the lobby. Go to your room. Go away. And I understand that it was like, A, so that the kid wouldn't, like, so that they could film without a child there for filming reasons and, like, labor law reasons. But I just, and also so that they, like, the characters could talk without the child there. But it was worrying. Yeah. I did think that little boy was a very good actor. Yeah, especially at the end especially when he was crying. Oh, it broke my heart. I know. He he was almost, how it at the end, he was crying when Cooper was talking to his parents and he was listening and he was almost like, wow, he, re- he sees me. Like, he's here for me. Yeah. And he wasn't even like, because I feel like a lot of kids and a lot of storylines on television would have gone the direction of, don't say that about my mom. I love my parents, which, like, obviously, like, fine, he does, but it went in the direction of, wow, like, I'm being advocated for. We again have Pete and Sheldon and Cooper talking about medication, although last time I believe it was Amelia in on it as well, and Violet, but talking about prescriptions, this time for a child, which... I'm not at all surprised that Pete is anti-medication, especially for kids. Well, I could tell from the get-go how controlling his parents were because they were trying to tell the doctor what to do. Yeah. And they just wanted a yes. And while it's good to advocate for yourself or your loved one, they only were interested in one diagnosis. And it was so coached. It was so coached, and it was very obvious. And I get that Cooper knew them clearly for a really long time but um I mean it was very it was very obvious but I guess he was at a place of comfort with them and wasn't looking at it objectively uh but the whole time I just felt so so bad for that little boy and it it just looked like such a horrible situation and it really really broke my heart when Cooper showed up at their house unannounced which also is that okay I don't know they do it all the time Um, on this show (laughs) It's usually frowned upon, I feel, but... Is it okay that he didn't report that abuse, or... I mean... I don't know I the don't, history of mandated reporters. I don't I don't know what the rules are, but... But I feel like he... Sh- like, Sheldon... Well, or he should have. But, again... Story, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the rules are, but I... And he talks about how... He's doing it for Ollie. He's not doing it for the parents. Because the system would have been worse for Ollie than the pressure he's under at home. Yeah. I'd be curious if he had follow-up conversations with Sheldon. Because, again, Cooper's still not completely objective in this. Oh, yeah. And nor does he have the full credentials to know that. But regardless, I was glad that Ollie had someone actually advocating for him and his interests and yeah. who he is as a person um and seeing him and his face and those tears at the end oh it was that was really hard to watch um but I hope that improves it really struck me 
when Ollie's parents were talking about he's they had a chandelier that was like we are good parents our son is going to Stanford this son is on honor roll we are good parents they're not talking about like he's a happy kid he likes this he's great at Legos even like literally anything they're only talking about academic achievements yeah are they good people are they yeah like (laughs) do they share are they kind like literally only what a group of teachers in a room or a group of administrators in a room decide yeah it would be interesting to know more about their parents and their backgrounds but also that was uh Jillian from Judging Amy yeah we're getting to that in this in the uh trivia also which was yeah interesting to me but I didn't watch that show and you did so yeah did you think about the fact that she didn't see Violet at all did did you like want them to interact um I didn't think about it I think it would have been weird yeah that's fair I was watching an episode of House today and two characters from Bones were on the same episode who interacted a lot on Bones, but didn't see each other in the house episode. So I wanted them to see each other, but their storylines weren't connected. I like when, you know. They would, they, well, they would have been maybe if she hadn't lost her license, if Violent had lost her license. <gasps> yeah, you're right. You're right. Would have been interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The storyline really made me think of what kind of mom Addison would be versus what this mom is. I just think it was a good pairing for these two storylines to go together in the same episode. Yeah. I didn't write it down, but I like when the mom asks, are you a parent, Dr. Friedman? And probably for the first time in that situation, he said yes. Yeah, and it's interesting because given their rapport, I would have thought she would have known that. Like, it just seemed like they were... Yeah. Like, knew each other better. But I hate that whole line. Like, he's a pediatrician. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> like, have to have a kid he, in his house to know. Yeah. And also just, like, do you have kids? Do you know you can't know a thing? Because, one, he's a pediatrician. Yeah. And he knows them for a long time. And knows kids and their well-being and everything. But also, I just think that's such a rude thing to say and yeah. imply. Yeah. I just didn't care for that. Yes. Yeah. And that, it's not the first time that's come up either. Yeah, but it's, it was a good writing-wise, like, full circle moment, kind of, because we saw a scene with him and his son and how he addressed, honestly, the same situation with a bee in school. Yeah. I also thought his son looked like Ollie. I thought it was the same kid They do, first. yeah. They look, from, they look um, the same. Yeah, for a Similar. split second. Yeah, and so then when he had that little exchange, it was a little bit on the nose, being like the same exact situation, and you see, you know, how the two moms deal with it, but um, it was kind of a full circle moment. Yeah, yeah, they do look really similar. Mm -hmm. On to Kelly Garrity with a pituitary adenoma. I don't have too much about her. I mean, we really... We never even saw her, no. right? Yeah. yeah. Just the inside of her brain. Just the brain scans. Yeah, it was, <laughs> she was just like a vehicle in the episode for what was going on with Amelia. Yeah, yeah. I love that Charlotte is teaching this resident so well and trusting him and his judgment and advocating for him is the wrong word, but building him up in a situation. Empowering him. Empowering him, thank you. In, in a way that maybe Amelia would have responded better to. Charlotte does a lot of tough love, not even just to Amelia, but all around. She's done tough love for Cooper, for Addison. Like, she's she's done tough love for lots of people, but this Amelia tough love is different. And, I mean, we know why, but I just, I really appreciate the way that Charlotte, number one, is able to separate her feelings and make sure that the patient gets the care that she needs and the resident gets the treatment that he deserves in this program. And I'm glad she was okay in the end. I really like that resident. And I'm not sure if they, did they say his name? I didn't catch it if they did. Um, But I liked how he spotted the problem and spoke up and 
did what he needed to do for the patient, wasn't trying to, like, cover up for Amelia or whatever, wasn't even really concerned with that, was just, like, here's the situation. And I liked how he was confident, but he was also nervous. He wasn't egotistical about, yeah, I can go in and do this. Like Yeah, it wasn't what we see a lot on these shows. Yeah, like, he very clearly cared, and he had confidence in his knowledge, but was still nervous that it was his first time doing it, and doing it basically unsupervised at that. And I liked that. I kind of liked Charlotte's approach with him and, you know, try Amelia one more time, but get ready. And then telling him, you know, save the life first, division second. Yeah. And just said, all right, like you're just, and she just kind of put him in there. And um, clearly, you know, he did it. So um, I, I would kind of like to see more of him. Me too. And maybe he will be in a few episodes since... There's a gap in that area of the practice now. <laughs> You're saying that Amelia's having an issue. <laughs> I I could not have foreseen that. But I really liked him and his character. Yeah. On to Charlotte King with a scalp laceration and a concussion. And this is mostly flashbacks. But again, I have my Amelia stuff in it. In Charlotte's office Amelia we talk about how struggling Amelia has some has some funny lines she says it's not your job it's your hobby meaning that Charlotte is just like pestering Amelia in her point of view although we know that she's trying to keep her sober and she says what is your damage and I couldn't help but think what's your damage Heather that's what I thought too And I liked the cool lighting effects into the flashback every time Charlotte had a flashback. It reminds me of on Grey's when they go to the title screen at the end of the cold open, how it just like fades to white, but it was kind of reminiscent of that in my opinion. It was cool. Do have to say though that we talked so much about how wonderful hair and makeup is in this show the brown wig that she has on in those flashbacks. It was... is not my favorite thing that's ever been on this television show. It was not great. And maybe it's because... Well, they're not going to have her dye her hair for one episode. Maybe they didn't want to use a good quality wig when they knew that there was going to be blood all over it and rain all over it. It's the only thing I can think of, but man, oh man, not the best moment. I've seen drag queens on their first night out with better hair. <laughs> what do you have for Charlotte and Amelia? I didn't know what was going on at first, and the flashback seemed really random and out of nowhere, and then obviously as the episode went on, it made sense. I just thought it was really sad. Um, you said something interesting about the flashback, the first flashback. Yeah, initially... I had no idea why she was having this flashback, and I thought, is it because Amelia looks like the woman her husband was cheating on her with, but that seemed weird, and then it proved obviously to be wrong, um, and it was about the drugs, but I, yeah, I didn't know that about Charlotte's backstory, and I think had she, I don't know if Amelia knows that about her or not, but if not, I think if she had been a little more forthcoming with it, maybe Amelia would have been more receptive, but... Honestly, I think Amelia's, like, in total denial right now and didn't want to hear it. Do you mean, does Amelia know that Charlotte struggles with addiction? Yeah. She does know. She does know. Yes, and that's why this whole thing is, because Charlotte is sort of acting as Amelia's sort of sponsor. Got it. Yeah, that's why this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing was just really sad, and I've never really seen an episode where Amelia kind of had her own story. She was always kind of like a side character, like helping to show more of Addison's reaction to something or just like being there to to show more of someone else's story. So I haven't really seen her be the story before. And it was, it was just really sad. I don't really know what else to say about it. Um, I didn't see the episodes about her friend, but she's clearly in significant amount of pain and I hope she gets help. Welcome to season five, private practice. (laughs) Welcome to season five. Amelia writing prescriptions for Oxy. Like, that is not good. No. It's, I, I like, don't even know how to verbalize it. But when she took, when she said, oh, I, well, first of all, I was, like, kind of happy to see her with someone because she did seem happy with Ryan Kerrigan. But also, I mean, it's not the best way to meet somebody obviously but 
I'm glad that she seems happy, but at the same time, we quickly learn that this is not the fella for her. And when she says, did I not mention that I'm a doctor? I almost forgot that that happened. It like 95% left my brain until she said that. And then I was like, oh no, this is so bad. But also, controlled substances are controlled, yes, for a reason, but they're very tightly controlled. Like you can't write a prescription for more than like, I think seven or 15 at a time. And there are some places that won't even write prescriptions for those or can't write prescriptions for those. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure that Amelia can because she performs brain surgery and people need things after that, but not good. Not good. Not good. And we end this storyline with Charlotte coming to Amelia's house and saying don't, she realizes that she's not testing positive on the breathalyzer because she's on pills instead. And she says, you can't come to my hospital until you get help. And Amelia said, I'm going to make it easy for you. I quit. And that's just, and I don't like to see baby Amelia like this, but that's where we're going to be for a while now. So do you have anything else? Or did, you, did I already ask you that? Uh, no, I think that's it. Okay, well, Miss Galenius is... What's your first? My first was Violet got a haircut. I didn't know the backstory about why her husband didn't trust her. Was it just because she was it because she went to see that patient when she wasn't supposed to or Oh uh, yeah. Uh so at the end of last season Pete had like a really bad heart attack and he's kind of just been insufferable ever since with just a few just a few times that he was not insufferable uh but I think it all helped him see his life in a new light and being like "Mm, maybe I shouldn't have married Violet like maybe I shouldn't be with Violet yeah I I didn't fully oh and and you remember how she left the family to go she was like I can't be a mom right now I can't be a mom and she was away for like a bit no Okay, well, she did. And then okay. again, so she wrote that book, which okay. I, you were here for. Yeah. And when she lost her license, her book person was like, oh, perfect time to go on a book tour. Come on. And she was like, okay. And Pete was like, if you walk out that door, we're finished. And she was like, bye. And then he like passed out and had like a four artery blockages. And it was not a happy moment in Pete's life. And um, so I think the trust is gone, but also... He is just, like, generally insufferable for, for this season. Got it. So far. Yeah. Love Amy Brenneman. The character Violet drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't think she was too bad in this episode. No, she wasn't. I didn't understand what was going on with the lawyer and why he asked her out. And she's like, I'm married. And then she goes home and has that exchange. There was just the whole, the whole storyline with Violet was, like, very jarring for me. And I never quite understood what I was watching. Yeah, the lawyer was horribly unprofessional. Like, if he wants to... Okay, when he... When they hugged, I was like, wait a minute, this lawyer is kind of thinking something. I can kind of feel that he's thinking that this isn't just a normal celebratory hug. But then I was like, no, I'm just reading into that. And then he asks her out. And the lawyer would know that she's married. It would be on paperwork somewhere or something. Yeah, for sure. It was it was just weird. I, I never knew what I was watching when Violet was on this episode. <laughs> I like that there are documented burdens by abandoned patients, I think is what he said. And that the case of Violet's license is being revisited by the board because it is, quote, not in the best interest of your patients. I like that they went at it from that angle instead of the angle of like, Oh, she didn't do anything wrong to begin with because obviously she did. Yeah, for sure. What did you think when Violet and Pete were back home and Violet was like, some of it is maternal projection? (laughs) I understand why he got so angry. I know. (laughs) It was like the most typical thing that she could have said. Yeah, I understood why he got angry. Yeah, um, and he did a great job. They both did. They it, always do. It was a good scene. It was a great job in that scene. Very authentic. Mm-hmm. 
So I talk a lot about how Sheldon needs to have his own storyline. Yes. And he always is just the vehicle for someone else, even more so than Amelia. So do you know what the Bechdel test is? I feel like I will know it when you say it, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. Okay, so it's a test when you're watching or reading or listening to any sort of media of are there two women in a scene or is there not a man in the scene and do they talk about something other than a man? So, like, if it passes the Bechtel test or not. So, most movies do not pass the Bechtel test. And it doesn't even have to be the whole movie. It just has to be one scene mm-hmm. in the book or the movie or the TV show if it passes the Bechtel test. You're saying test. that doesn't include or reference a man? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, I think that we here at BHAB Podcast need to come up with a new test. I don't know what to call it, but I'm taking suggestions. Maybe the Sheldon test? Sure. Where is Sheldon in a scene? He doesn't talk about someone else in the office that is not directly related to him. Does that make sense? Because anytime he talks... Say it again? It needs... So the Sheldon test, or whatever our dear listeners come up with, is when Sheldon is in a scene with anyone, regardless of gender, and when he's talking about something that is about him. That's a, that's a more succinct way of stating it. Oh, because it never happens? Yeah, because it never... I mean, if he's... And it can be, you know, he, he can be talking about, like, where he went to lunch. He can be talking about... I mean, God forbid we know anything about his backstory growing up. Like, anything. And, well, and it's interesting you say that because I wrote, I wrote down the line he said, um, which was... I'm not your therapist, I'm your friend. That means I get to talk about my stuff too. But his stuff was about Amelia. And then when he was done talking and he was about to receive the input that he or insight that he often gives, he shut it down. He didn't want to hear any commentary. He just wanted to vent and say it out loud. Yeah. So that whole exchange was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just want to hear about Sheldon. And himself. I don't want to hear about Sheldon and other people. I also thought it was really funny how he was saying about the donor for Addison. Being like, I'm voting for the PhD. But maybe that's my narcissism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was interesting this episode. Yeah. But again, we didn't learn anything about him. I would say what we learned is he maybe needs therapy if he's not in it. But um, I think he is in it. He wants to be heard, but he doesn't. I think he doesn't know how, or he's um, too scared. He wants to be heard. He doesn't want to be seen. Yeah, I think he wants the kind of support he gives, but he's also not ready to receive it. Yeah, without the vulnerability. Yeah, he, I think he wants to be vulnerable, but he's just can't let himself be yet. But that was the most vulnerable thing I'd heard him say. One of them. I've heard him be vulnerable when he, like, loves someone or whatever, but um, I haven't heard him, like, actively say something like that. I'm not your therapist. I'm your friend. That means I get to talk about my stuff, too. And I imagine it must be hard because everyone's, Using him as their therapist. All the time. And it's, it's like he's just there as a supporting act and not as a person. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine that must be really hard. He's just a little guy. Well, it's probably how a lot of them feel when they, like, go home and a friend or a family member is saying, like, oh, what's wrong with me? Or I have this or I have that. Yeah. But it happens to him all the time and at work, too. Around everyone. hmm Yeah. I only have one more miscellaneous. Mm-hmm. And it's when we see Charlotte and Cooper at the end of the day. And after we see that, you know, Charlotte killed someone while she was under the influence oh, and driving. It was, it, was, it was terrible. And we're led to believe perhaps that was her rock bottom. I also, when she said, it's not my blood, it's her blood. And she kept repeating that. To me, that was her saying, it's not my fault. She wasn't buckled. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Oh, Knowing I it was dif- her fault. Oh, How did you take I it? I took it differently. Um, when she was saying, 
it's not my blood, it's her blood. Oh, I, yeah. I think she was in, I think she was in shock, like, it should have been her. Oh. Like, or also, last time it was her blood, last time she was her. When she, yeah, the scalp, yeah. But it could mean any of those things. Yeah. Perhaps a combination. But she definitely was in shock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like that Charlotte and Cooper are both talking about their day without burdening the other person with the details. I think that they can tell that the other person had a rough day and that they can just be there for each other as a whole without having to vent the information. Like unload. Yeah, because there there's not a good outcome to either of those. Current, like eventually, hopefully there is. Yeah. But there's nothing that they can be like troubleshoot at the time. Because it all is just hopefully going to be healed with time. Yeah, I thought that was a nice kind of ending scene to the episode. Yeah, and knowing her saying, I am so grateful that I have you to come home to. I know she was thinking about the woman that she killed and that she can't go home to her person. And also the man she used to be married to versus who she is now. Yes, yes. That whole moment was just very sweet. Yeah, it was. Do you have any stray notes? No, I actually think we covered them all. Surprisingly. My notes were all over the place, but we we got there. Yes. Wow. Sam. Samantha. (laughs) Yeah, you never call me Sam. That was weird. What's your style? (laughs) Okay, so we watched the episode together tonight and it ended. And I went to write my MVP and my rating. And I was like, wow, I can't remember a thing that anyone wore in this episode. And then I remembered Amelia's bras because she was in a bra for like the whole episode. So Sam's style is Amelia's lacy Victoria's Secret bras. Like bras are so much more simple now. They're not as like lacy and bejeweled and they were also like so padded. That was very 2011. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, (laughs) I worked at Victoria's Secret for a summer and it was like, I was like, oh, that's a dream angel. Oh, that's a this. Like, that's a this. And But they were definitely dream angels, just so you know. Like, very lacy. And, yeah, they just don't make bras like that anymore. I it mean, they do, but, like, not really. It was just, um, it was just very 2011 Victoria's Secret. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my Sam style for the week. Who's our guest star spotlight? I was really kind of going between the resident and Ollie and I decided to go with the resident okay because I'm hoping he's a reoccurring character though I feel like he's probably not okay so the resident's name and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing this is Sachin Bhatt played Dr. Barksdale which I just have been referring to him as the resident because I didn't even remember them saying his name in an episode um but yes I uh, I thought, let's go with him, because I hope he's reoccurring, and I really liked his character. Fun facts about him are different things he's been in. Um, oh, he was in Grace and Frankie Ooh. for two episodes. He's been in um, several things. Santa Clarita Diet, How I Met Your Mother, uh, Rules of Engagement, Two Broke Girls. Um, he's been in a whole lot of things. He was born in Missouri. Um, trained in voice, and uh, according to IMDb, he played the lead Akash in the first national tour of Bombay Dreams, um, and Chino in the Asian European tour of The West Side Story. Oh, the um, West Side Story. It says. Yeah, it says the, we- the West Side it Story. It says in quotes the West Side Story. <laughs> I've never heard it referred to that way. Um, but it is I, just West Side Story. That's, like three words instead yeah, of the, these three. Yeah. Words. Well, yeah. you know, just what it says. <laughs> Born in St. Louis and trained in opera uh, at the Top School of Music, Indiana University, Bloomington. That is like the place to go for opera. Is it? Yeah. I that's, had no idea. That's impressive. Like, I know people who went there, but also I went to conservatory, so, like, not surprising. But that is a really good school for opera. Like, an incredible school for opera. Well, he must be very good. Yeah. Um, it says he began his voice training as early as, 
a seventh grade, encouraged by his choir teacher. And it says that he is the youngest of three children, including two older sisters. Wow. So, yeah, I hope he's reoccurring um, on the season. And if not, maybe look up the other things he's been in. Yeah, no, I was very impressed by him as well. I think he did do that balance very well of like, I mean, we see residents all the time and Grays and all all these shows. And they're always either like, oh, I could never do that. I could never. Or they're like, I'm going to do it right now. And he played a balance really well. Trivia for this episode. This episode scored 6.56 million viewers. That's about standard for this season. Good job, friends. Wes Brown, who played Ryan Kerrigan. Jessica Tuck, who plays Rosie Graham. And Mike Watford, who played Billy Douglas, were all in the HBO show True Blood. Mm. And also this fun fact that Caitlin told me, and also was on IMDb, is that Jessica Tuck, who again plays Rosie Graham, portrayed Amy Brenneman's sister-in-law, Jillian. Or is it Gillian? Jillian. Jillian on Judging Amy. I never know when it's a G. When it's a J, I know it's Jillian, but G could be Gillian. You, mm-hmm. you, you never know. I feel like it would have been weird for me because I have much more Judging Amy knowledge than I do private practice. <laughs> um, and their characters had a interesting relationship on Judging Amy. Um, but I thought that was cool uh, to see her in this. Tell me about your Caitlin's knowledge. So... I think Addison gets pregnant. I think Addison and Sam are maybe the best they've been, or at least the best I've seen them. So I hope they can find their way to some kind of path of happiness and, I don't know, whatever it is they're looking for. Um, And maybe it seemed like maybe they're starting to finally understand each other. So I hope that they just continue down that path if that's what they want. Um, and I just, I hope Amelia gets help. I feel like we're going to see her go closer to rock bottom before she does. Don't look at me. I'm not giving you anything. Because she's not ready to accept help yet. Um, she needs to be able to accept it. But I hope, I hope we see her get better. Okay. Anything for Charlotte or Violet? Um, not so much. I didn't really understand what was going on with Violet most of this episode. I just hope she and her husband find happiness, whether that's together or not, um, or peace of some kind. And Charlotte, I think she'll keep trying to help Amelia, but I'm not really sure how. Okay. Okay. So let's do MVPs first. Who's your MVP? Well, no surprise here, it's the resident. You love this guy. (laughs) But also... (laughs) He did a good job, though. And, well, also because he was so unproblematic. Like, <laughs> like he just did his job. Um, Imagine that. Without dragging his whole personal life through it. Because in some ways I wanted to say Cooper, but in other ways I really don't. So, I don't know, the resident was the, Dr. Barksdale, was the only one that I, I just felt like, yeah, you did a good job and weren't messy about it. <laughs> okay, okay. I respect that. My MVP, and the first time he's gotten it, is Jake for putting Addison at ease the entire episode. Oh, that's a good answer. Between picking a donor and the important thing being her, not the donor, and letting her realize that, making her happy during the actual retrieval procedure... And letting Addison be there for the transfer. Like, it was so wonderful and he was so sweet and caring, but professional the entire time. And he was standing up for her to Sam while she was unconscious. And I always think about that quote by who I'm forgetting, but like, you know the people who are really there for you by what they say about you and for you when you are not there. So even though she was physically there, she was not conscious and he was still standing up for her. Yeah. That's a, Jake's a good one. That's a good answer. Thank you. It was a huge step, I feel like, for him. This episode was big for Jake. Even though, like, again, we, we found out some things about him a few episodes ago with, like, he has sisters and he's close. Yeah. But this was huge for him. Good. What's your rating? It's short, but it describes my experience with the episode, which is 
Like you're on the beach, it's sunset, but it's a chaotic sunset with really crazy wind that's just like blowing the sand in your face when you try to look towards it, um, but you still keep looking towards the sunset. Okay. Oh, that's so cute. It's like, yeah, it's just chaotic. It's not necessarily pleasant, but there are beautiful parts about it. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Mine is shopping for a souvenir on the boardwalk because everyone knows what they want or maybe they don't know what they want, but like, will it be a good choice? Like, are you going to pick a shirt or sweatshirt that like you will wear for the next 10 years or are you going to pick something that is going to break before you even get back home? Ollie's parents pressuring him, Amelia having a seemingly cute relationship, but then writing prescriptions for her drug of choice, Charlotte trying to help Amelia, Pete getting frustrated as, you know, shopping at the beach often happens, frustration, and Violet is hoping for the best. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me back. So fun. Yeah. Maybe we'll listen as our, um, like, double check when I'm done editing. Maybe we'll double check listen in the car. Oh, yeah. On our little road trip. That would be cute. Yeah. Ruthie would be very confused. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Beach Houses and Babies, a private practice recap podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at BHAB Podcast and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor to be the first to hear future episodes. You can find me at Samantha G. Harris on all social media. And you can now follow me at Story Blaine on Instagram. Yay! If you'd like to support Beach Houses or Babies, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify now and sharing with a friend. It really helps people learn about the show and we might read your review on the podcast. But again, we still haven't gotten a new one. You can also become a member of our Patreon community at patreon.com slash BHAB podcast. On our next episode, we'll be discussing Private Practice Season 5, Episode 7. They're all available to stream on Hulu and Amazon and can be purchased on iTunes, DVD, and more. If you have thoughts you'd like to share with us on these episodes, please DM us on Instagram at bhabpodcast or email us at bhabpodcast at gmail.com to be featured on our listener mail segment. Thanks for listening. BHAB Podcast will be back in two weeks. TGIT!